John, it's fascinating to talk to Robert Pandy for the second time. Certainly there's no more uh, tireless ambassador for motorcycling than him and uh, his all the channels that he's going on. I think it's going to be interesting for our, our, our listeners to uh, hear about this new uh, movement that uh, Harley-Davidson is going down, and that is some more manufacturing overseas, which always tends to upset it the water. It gets people fired up. Yeah, which is which is, But I think it really makes sense when you... When you listen to Robert and some of the discussions, I think it's uh, it's they're heading in the right direction. All right, so if you don't agree with this move by Harley Davidson, comment please below. We'd love to hear your points of view. Yeah, g- give us a rating, and yeah. we don't care if it's a one star or five star. We got plenty of uh, got plenty of five stars, but but yeah. we also got plenty of the one stars. These people uh, that don't don't like the podcast, I think it's they don't like you, Mark. I, well, it could be, but uh, don't rate the move to move manufacturing to China. Rate the podcast. Thank you. Thank you. Welcome to the Behind the Bars podcast, where we discuss all things motorcycles, memories, and mayhem. Oh, this is awesome. Sponsored by Wilkins Harley Davidson. Let's get this thing started. Here's John and Mark. On the line with us today is someone that is uh, not new to Behind the Bars that we have interviewed in the past, but super excited because very, very current. Robert Pandia with uh, a bunch of different, he has an extensive uh, background here, but uh, a company called Spokespeople LLC, which is an agency uh, behind uh, motorcycles, anything with really a, a throttle, right, Mark? Yeah. And absolutely. then, but PR manager for Aprilia, Motoguzi, Victory, Indian, has a very cool website that Mark messed up last time called Moto Give, Give a, a Shift. Shift. S H I F T. Oh. Dot com. Yeah, Mark screwed it up last time. But, uh, Robert, I don't know that you remember interacting with with Mark, but I, you referred to him last time as systemically lazy. Do you remember that? I don't recall being no. referred to ever in my life as systemically lazy. Well, we can go back to that podcast that where where uh, we interact with Robert back last year and, and check it out. Okay. Yeah. I, I think I have got a dollar that says that's not true. Well, okay, we're betting on the air here. Robert, welcome. Hey, how are you guys? Hey, Robert. I think systemically lazy was one of those things that you pull out of a hat and you try and work it into a conversation. You know what I mean? I, it might, might have been one of those sorts of things. I don't even know what it me, what that even means. So I, if you had no. said that about me, I certainly would have asked you to elaborate. Well, let's get into this. Okay. We don't have a lot of time to talk about how lazy you are, Mark. Okay. Okay. <laughs> so, um, uh, Robert, I already I know you're up to speed because you literally are on cutting edge stuff. If you if you haven't followed. Robert at all. Uh, if, if you're on LinkedIn, check him out. He is very cutting edge. He seems to have information while it's being released. But uh, Robert, um, I know you're up to speed on this partnership where Harley Davidson has partnered with uh, Quan Jiang uh, um, Motorcycle Company in China. What? How did you pronounce that? Yeah, Quan Jiang. We got that right, Robert? I think it's Quang Jing, but uh, yeah. See, you know, I, I told well, you. I, no, I you said Jiang. Robert, how do we pronounce it? I think it's Quan Jing, but uh, Quan Jing. You know, we'll, okay. We'll, we'll let that. We'll let that go. We'll let that be a debate for some other time. Okay. So Quan Jing, what what are we what are we talking? Tell tell us your take on this. Well, you know, I mean Harley Davidson. People people have been beating up on Harley Davidson for a while, and and I'll freely admit, I'm, I you know I've 
never, or I should say very rarely been drawn to Harley Davidson traditional products. I, I, you know, I've been more of a sport bike guy, off-road guy. So Buell was actually a very exciting thing for me when that was around. And, um, but that said, as people beat on Harley Davidson quite a bit, they're the, you know, they're the, uh, uh, gorilla in the market. And, um, and then they have this opportunity to, uh, expand on the brand, uh, internationally. And it's kind of interesting that, uh, I'm seeing people like kind of beating them up on that because their assumption is that they're going to make bikes in China and ship them over here into the States and just sell you know, uh, Chinese Harley Davidson's right off the bat. Not to say that that may not be a, a potential in the future, but uh, my suspicion is this is more of a brand play to leverage uh, Harley Davidson uh, as uh, the international brand presence that it is, that we all know of, um, and to uh, latch on to brands like uh, uh, Buick is big in China. And you're like, what, really? And yeah, it's, yeah, it's a luxury brand in China. So. So there is definitely a fit for that kind of uh, product over there as their market grows and develops. Uh, and, um, you know, and, and then the assumption is that they're just going to badge engineer and slap partly Davidson on the side of the, but I don't think they've done that sort of thing since like the Aramaki days. But uh, I, I think it's a great opportunity for them to experiment with their style, with what a modern Harley Davidson might look like in a lower risk market such as China. Uh, and, um, and of course, being a market where, you know, they made in China, sold in China, there's no tariffs or anything like that, and, uh, um, and expand their network. So it seems like a pretty savvy move to me. I'm not that on the inside on it, but uh, looking at it from the outside and, and trying to be uh, critical about it, um, it seems like a pretty smart move to me. So, so, Robert, are you able to comment on how the brand Harley-Davidson is perceived in the Chinese market? I, are there are there Harley Davidsons available in that marketplace now, and what what is the general perception of the brand by the Chinese? I couldn't tell you that. I'm not an expert on that uh, on that Asian market, and uh, and I would just be I would just be guessing. I don't think that Harley Davidson plans to uh, uh, move into a market where they don't have some sense that they're going to be successful. So I you know they they are uh, a savvy global car company. Uh, they are battling their category in the U.S., which has really killed their profits, um, you know, because people aren't buying $30,000 CBOs left and right the way they used to, and that, that was the basis of their model. So um, to know whether or not I, – I couldn't speak to, as to whether they're, uh, you know, already in China and, and, and selling well, uh, but um, I think that uh, the brand awareness, the Chinese – companies are certainly aware of brand. You've got, I think it's uh, Geely is a Chinese company that owns Volvo now. Yeah, Mercedes as well, a piece of Mercedes as, as well. Yeah, and so uh, so there's no doubt, um, when, you know, when you when you look at it with, with fresh eyes and you see where the money is in the global marketplace and where manufacturing prowess uh, is, is as modern as it is anywhere, if not more so, um, that uh, exploring a market like China with products that fit that market is a, is a smart move when you've got a brand as strong as Harley-Davidson. Well, you know, and Mark and I were talking about this, so for our listeners that, that aren't up to speed on what's what's just happened, so Harley partnered up with this Quanjing uh, motorcycle company who purchased 
Benelli Motorcycles, which is, I think, Italy's uh, oldest motorcycle manufacturer, uh, started in around 1911, not too far after Harley-Davidson in, in Italy, but purchased Benelli, uh, or a, a majority interest in them, and has been producing um, Benelli motorcycles, uh, which are range all over the place, but 50cc all the way up to 1130cc engines uh, over in China and doing exceptionally well. And I, I understand that they're they're exporting those to around 130 different countries. But one of the stats that we found, Robert, and I'm, I'm sure you're up to speed on this, but in 2015, uh, there were around 600,000 motorcycles sold in the United States and total. And there were in the same year, 2015, 24 million motorcycles sold in China, which, which, which blew my mind. I couldn't believe it. I, I had to go back to the to the uh, footnotes on this article and, and go back and, and it, it, it supports it. So, you know, the, I think you're dead on that this is, uh, they've done their research and this is sort of the next step and to line up with the more road strategy that Harley's released that they're gonna, they want 50% of their sales to be international. And this is certainly uh, creating that, that opportunity that they're not already um, taking advantage of. Exactly right. I mean, the Chinese know how to build. Uh, they, they're not good at design. This is a very broad brush statement, right? So, uh, but they're not very good at vehicular design. There's been plenty of instances where I think there was a Chinese company that that lost an international court battle because they completely knocked off the uh, the Ford Explorer, I believe it was. Um, so, so, but they're really good at manufacturing. There's no doubt. There's no debate about that, right? And um, uh, so when it comes to branding and design, design is a, is a very uh, European, um, Japanese-American thing. Sales is a very strong American thing. Uh, and so when you have uh, brand equity, um, like a Harley-Davidson or, or, you know, Benelli certainly has uh, brand equity uh, in Europe, as, as you said, that was started by a bunch of brothers, and then the company split up into several smaller companies, so there's Benelli Handguns, which used to be related, and, and, and so that's a long history there, but there's the Chinese going like, okay, here's this motorcycle brand that's struggling, and, uh, and here's an opportunity to, to pick up a decent brand and then tweak the product a little bit into something we can manufacture uh, and, uh, and then you know, bring it back out onto market. So um, the, uh, uh, the chance for it, just to, just to take away from or step back from what, what might work for the Chinese, I think what really works for Harley-Davidson, and this is me coming from a PR marketing perspective, is here's a chance to go into a market um, that's relatively clean slate as to what Harley-Davidson means. It's certainly known to be premium. It's known to be, you know, uh, uh, upscale uh, and, uh, and something that a growing middle-class country like India or, uh, or China are going to be drawn to. Uh, but here's a chance to take this history and heritage into a market that doesn't, from an automotive standpoint, doesn't have their own history and heritage, and a chance to sort of, it's like a, a, a whiteboard, a chance to kind of tweak the designs and, and really play with what the look of maybe what a more modern Harley-Davidson would look like hmm. uh, and how that fits. And, um, uh, and then maybe there's a chance to export it uh, into adjacent markets, right? So, uh, you know, to move it across into, you know, Vietnam or, or, or other other countries in Asia or... India. Uh, or in Europe. 
great example. So um, I, I think it's a it's a good move on their part. I think a lot of enthusiasts who um, fret about these sorts of things just just really love to poke at them. And uh, but I think that this is a pretty savvy move on their part. So Robert, poking around a little bit um, on the internet, it it would appear that this prototype that is in the works to be manufactured there is a fairly small machine, a 338cc uh, motorcycle. Is that correct? Yeah, small to us, but that's a big bike. If, you know, so out, out of the, the what a 20-odd million, quote, motorcycles sold in China, if you think that those are a bunch of big, heavy cruisers, you're out of your mind. I mean, we've all seen, you know, the traffic videos in China, right? And it's all 50cc scooters and 100cc runabouts. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And that's that's the appropriate tool for that market. I have been on a big American V-twin in a European city that's tight and cobblestone roads, and and it is miserable. It's like driving a Hummer through New York City. You know, it's like you are on. This is the worst possible thing you could you could be dealing with. And um, meanwhile, uh, you know, little little small bikes are super popular in countries like Brazil and in, and, uh, and in Asia, where they're used as a commodity product, you know? They're just abused and ridden, and, you know, they're, they're used like a toaster. And when it doesn't work anymore, you throw it out and you buy another one. Well, I, I think it speaks to the really different perspective uh, that the, these Asian markets and the American markets have on the vehicle itself. I mean, in the American market, it's largely perceived as a recreational luxury-type vehicle. Um, whereas in these Asian countries, they're utility vehicles. They're, they're, they make sense for both the infrastructure that you described and for the economy of them. So what I think is going to be really interesting about this project is you, you mentioned that Harley is uh, interested in exploring what the history and heritage of the brand might look like in its modern form. That will be an interesting thing to see how much of that they can maintain as they're really addressing a completely different appetite, don't you think? Yeah, I think so. And, and I think that there's a convergence uh, coming. Like if you start looking at, you know, what's cool in motorcycling right now, you go to the one show or you go to, you know, handbills or anything, and there's a bunch of small motorcycles are being customized. You know, the, the traditional, you know, fat bagger is not as much of a thing people are customizing sportsters and making you know flat track bikes out of them and hooligan racing is big and these are all like small like in the sub ten thousand dollar let's have some just let's go back to having fun let's just have fun you know absolutely because they're, they start to get too big and too complex and now the bike owns your ass if you you know if you fall down instead of the other way around and so so if you were to extrapolate this let's you know like moving ahead like 10 years from now and Harley's had a chance to develop this product. They've had a chance to test it in other markets. They've had a chance to position it and get the American market comfortable with the fact that Harley Davidsons are built not only in you know in Kansas and and you know all over, but but they're also built all over the globe now. And then you have a youth market, which is one of the big things I'm working on. That's going to grow into this thing where motorcycles just need to be fun and they need to be recreational and entertaining just project forward 10 years and they may be in a sweet spot where there's like some comfort in that brand recognition, but it's no longer wholly married to a 850 pound bagger with, you know, crazy paint. And I think the, the 
from my perspective, just knowing the CC size that they're after, I think the Benelli, the, it's, I think it's called the TNT 300. And I was curious, Robert, if you had any experience on Benelli at all or had, or uh, I've not ever put a, you know, thrown a leg over one, but I was curious if you had seen the TNT 300 because I understand that it's going to be, you know, co-designed or co-developed with, with, um, you know, Quan Jing. And so it would, I would presume it would be very similar to that Benelli TNT 300. Benelli I rode was actually made in Italy. I got to visit the Benelli factory over there, and, and uh, when it was over there, and, and and ride over there. But the uh, um, again, just going back to like what's the appropriate motorcycle in you know for the market, um, a bike like the the Himalaya 400 in India is a fantastic motorcycle. The you know we think of the uh, of their six uh, or their 500 bullet as being sort of an archaic design and you know and heavy and slow and you know man I'm going to need more than 17 horsepower again go back to India where your top speed on most of the roads just because of conditions and traffic is maybe 45 miles an hour hmm. and all of a sudden that that's a great motorcycle for that you know I mean you're not you know in America there's there's stretches of highway where you go 150 miles and there's zero population and and, and zero conveniences or gas stations or anything like that. And, um, you know, when we get into these places that have popu population density that is mind-numbing, uh, how tight things can be, two-wheel conveyance makes perfect sense. So, again, if you, extrapolating forward, where, where we're getting things like uh, 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 rush surcharge in, uh, in London, you know, you get the, the busier it is, the more the higher the fee is for you to, to, to get into the city, to drive your own vehicle into the city. Well, all of a sudden, a two-wheeled, um, you know, conveyance kind of makes sense. Uh, and uh, leveraging the strength of the brand, leveraging the lower manufacturing costs, uh, and then the more international sensibility uh, of uh, motorcycling in the future, it, it gives them an option that, uh, that just putting blinders on and saying, no, it's an American brand, it has to be made in America, and, and that's all that they're good for. It's just going to, it's just, you know, that's ultimately that'll be the minimizing the brand. They're already, they, they, I don't know if you guys saw this announcement, but they just announced that uh, KTM made more units than Harley Davidson did for the first time in history. I saw that. Mm -hmm. And that's, I mean, that's a, that's a big, big deal. And if you don't think that there's a lot of corporate pride out in Milwaukee, I mean, you're nuts, right? So they, you know, these guys want to get back up, back up on the top, and, uh, and they need to find new ways to do it. Whether they can do it quickly or fast enough for, for the market, that's, that's another issue. But, so uh, they need to do it. So, Robert, I'm going, to, um, I'm going to give John a little quiz here, and let's just see how sharp he is. Um, perhaps he's the systemically lazy guy here. Let's find out. So, John, I have a question for you. What do these companies, these uh, these American companies, all have in common? Uh, the Fender Guitar Company, the Coca-Cola Beverage Company, McDonald's, and Budweiser. I, I would presume they all have plants in China. That is spot on, and I'm impressed, John. Uh, the fact of the matter is that these four iconic American brands have manufacturing both here in our country and traditionally have been known for their American manufacturing, but over the years have 
gone into these other markets and manufacture in those marketplaces. And yet, they don't take the same flack that Harley Davidson is taking. We talked about the traditionalists. Well, they've, done, they've done it for years. I think well, that's they, the other thing. This is Things have. have changed with the political climate that have caused people to attack when they're not being true produced in America. But every, every brand, every motorcycle manufacturer, and Robert could correct me on this, but I, I think... I think every motorcycle manufacturer right now is in Asia, already producing in Asia. Are there any that are not? That's a good question. I, I, I guess what my point is, is when you bring this up to a traditionalist, we, we already spoke to one in our dealership today, uh, there's a big cloud of smoke that comes out of the conversation. Harley-Davidson going in China. Well, it, it's only natural. It's not that American-made Harley-Davidsons won't still be available as they are today. Mm -hmm. It's just a diversification of the brand. Absolutely. So what's the big deal? And and I'm, I'm one that wants to see these in the U.S. marketplace as fast as possible. I mean, actually, Chinese ones made in China in the U.S. Uh, marketplace. Well, let's... Let's not go there quite yet, Mark. Why not? Well, if, Robert, what what do you think the risk is of that? Of of being, is there a risk of producing these in China and, and then importing them into the United States? You know, it, it depends how it's done. It's a matter of timing. There was a uh, there was a listening to NPR this morning, and there was a story about how America is getting older, and uh, you know, on average, and so um, uh, you know, boomers are not. Buying vehicles. The reason that that Can Am can exist in this country is because uh, there's a whole uh, category of riders who uh, are either like I I need to stop riding because I can't hold the bike up anymore, I, or I need to decide that I want you know I'm going to keep riding and it needs to be a Can Am or a slingshot, right? And so it's easy for like a 25 year old guy to go, oh that's lame, that's not really a motorcycle, and blah blah blah. Man, if it's either that or I got to drive my frickin' minivan around or my F-150 around, I'll take a K&M over that any day. Mm -hmm. you know? And that, it, so it's really just a, it's a matter of of uh, perspective. Um, uh, the next generations don't care where their phone was made, and the truth is, most hardcore, you know, Harley guys that may have American flag stickers all over their their vehicle may be driving a Ford that was made in Mexico. You know, watching their LG TV uh, and you know and, and computer uh, you know bitching about it on computers and keyboards made in in China. So, you know, we're in a global economy, and and every time you turn on the news, there are uh, there's a reminder of that. Um, that will. Um, that's not going to stop. That's not going to end. You mm -hmm. cannot build a house that's made 100% of American-made stuff anymore. There's certain nails and adhesives and screws and, and materials that are just not produced in America anymore. Uh, and so unless you're, made, unless you're building a log cabin, you know, you can't build a modern 100% American house anymore. It's a great point. So it, it's, you know, if it's to the point where one of the most significant commodities housing is a global commodity, then then certainly, you know, the product's going to be that. And, I, you know, stand in an Apple store for a month and you're not going to see a millennial come in and bitch that, you know, this thing's not made in America, <laughs> so I don't want to buy it. Well, the, it's always interesting, Robert, getting your perspective. Tell us, because I feel like we're running low on time here, what are, what are you working on lately for our listeners so that they can kind of follow along and stay up to speed with you. Well, I appreciate you mentioning LinkedIn. I am doing a lot of stuff on LinkedIn. I'm 
I've got two main things I'm doing. I, I, I have grown, I'm, I'm both inspired and then frustrated by the motorcycle industry, just sort of concurrently, you know, two sides of the coin sort of thing. Um, and uh, the frustration comes from some of what we've talked about. Uh, uh, and large OEMs are very siloed in how they, in how they think about sales and, and that kind of deal. So I really sat back for the last year and a half or so, and I just I thought about, you know, what are different ways to, to promote the category of motorcycling in a bigger way. So the two initiatives I'm working on, one is called Discover the Ride, which I did with the International Motorcycle Shows Tour, and I think that's the first time I talked to you guys. And Discover the Ride was really successful at, at creating new riders today that can go out and buy motorcycles within the next three, six, nine months. That that was that was what that program was all about, is to prove that I can take somebody from being a pedestrian to riding a motorcycle for the first time in 10 minutes. And we did that uh, 6,000 times over the course of the last uh, IMS tour. And we're going to do it again in this upcoming IMS tour. Uh, and then the other thing I'm working on is the far end of the spectrum, what's over the horizon. And over the horizon is kids, the next generation. So I've been working with Strider Bikes. I'm managing a program called the Double Down Charity uh, Program. Uh, and it benefits All Kids Bike, which is a, uh, a Strider-owned uh, charity whose sole mission is to get every kindergartner in America to ride and balance on two wheels, hmm. like within 10 years. Now, if we're successful at that and nothing else changes, marketing doesn't change, products don't change, nothing else changes, if we're, if we're successful at getting, uh, what is it, 48 million children below the age of 11 to learn how to ride and balance on two wheels, that fixes the bicycle industry, fixes the motorcycle industry, it makes every driver much more aware of two wheelers out there, and it's just a good thing. So. Hmm. So we'll let the we'll let the OEMs fight for what happens in between, you know, the nine month period and 15 years from now. They can they can play with product, they can do promotion stuff like that. But um, Strider and All Kids Bike are going to make an entire generation of riders happen. And at that point, uh, Strider will be as uh, as as common as a basketball in a gymnasium. That's the point. Well, Robert, uh, we do appreciate everything that you're doing in, in all of these different avenues. You're, it's almost uh, when when you follow what Robert's doing on LinkedIn, but just uh, you know different articles and whatnot. He is tireless uh, in in this in this movement of getting making sure that uh, kids and people are learning about two wheels. So we we appreciate that, Robert. As as uh, folks in the motorcycle industry, we appreciate all your hard work and efforts. Thanks very much, guys. I know it's uh, I know it's extra work and whatever to do the podcast and to build followers and that. So I certainly appreciate what you guys do. And uh, and uh, thanks again for following along on LinkedIn and uh, on Gearheads Road Trip on Facebook. If you still use that old that old school platform, you know. So uh, <laughs> anyway, uh, you guys keep doing what you're doing. Uh, it is hard work. Um, not the easiest industry to be in, but it's it's still one that's full of the best people in the world. Absolutely. Thanks, Robert. We really appreciate it. Thank you for your time. Thank you, Robert. You bet. You bet, guys. We'll see you down the road. Thanks for listening to the Behind the Bars podcast, sponsored by Wilkins Harley-Davidson. Stay tuned for our next exciting podcast. Check out additional information on WilkinsHarley.com.